the common reaction that I get when I tell clients that the Stark Law is implicated through charitable donations by physicians is, what? Are you crazy? The Stark Law involves charitable contributions by physicians and immediate family members? Well, yes it does. Listen to this episode and I will explain the rules. Captain Integrity Productions is excited to announce Bob Wade has joined the Tier 1 ranked national law firm of Nelson Mullins. But we are still Stark Integrity. Captain Integrity Production and the law firm of Nelson Mullins presents Stark Integrity, the Stark Law and Compliance Podcast. Stark Integrity explores the world of the Stark Law and healthcare compliance with our nationally recognized Stark Law, Fraud, and Compliance Attorney, Bob Wade. Bob has a national healthcare legal and compliance practice that focuses on the minions of the Anti-Kickback Statute, False Claims Act, and the Stark Law, including fair market value and commercial reasonableness. Although Bob is a law partner in the national law firm of Nelson Mullins, the views expressed in Stark Integrity are Bob's personal views and not the views of the firm, and they are not intended to be legal advice. Now, without further ado, I give you Captain Integrity, Bob Wade. Welcome to Stark Integrity, the Stark Law and Compliance Podcast. My name is Bob Wade, and I am your host. Today, I am going to be discussing in this episode, charitable contributions. And yes, uh, as the intro indicated, the Stark Law is implicated when a physician or an immediate family member makes a charitable contribution to a tax-exempt hospital or its foundation. And that's basically because, and we go back to the very first episodes of Stark Integrity, is this broad definition of remuneration. And remuneration, if we all remember, means any benefit. And by a physician or an immediate family member making a charitable contribution to a hospital or a hospital foundation, and I'll talk a little bit about the connection between a hospital foundation. When they make a charitable contribution, that's deemed to be a benefit. The benefit this way is going from the physician to the hospital. And since that is a benefit, that charitable contribution is a benefit, then that's deemed to be remuneration, thereby implicating the Stark Law. And this question has actually had some history in the Stark Law. And back in Phase 1, in 1998, when the Phase 1 regulations came out, some commenters were concerned about charitable contributions from physicians, inquiring as to whether charitable contributions would be deemed uh, to be remuneration under the Stark Law and thereby implicating the Stark Law. In the Phase 1 regulations, CMS indicated that because there was a financial benefit flowing from the physician to the hospital, the Stark Law would be implicated. But they inferred in those regulations that as long as the charitable contribution was not based upon or took into account, those are the key things with the charitable contributions, it's not based upon or takes into account the volume or value of referrals, then the Stark Law would be satisfied. Well, fast forward to the year 2005 in the Phase 2 regulations, 
CMS, through their authorizing authority under the Stark Law, created an exception for charitable contributions. So, in 2005, under the Phase Two regulations, CMS included, under their authorized power to include other exceptions for the spirit of the Stark Law, that they created a new exception titled Charitable Donations by a Physician. And they use this word bona fide charitable donations, just like with bona fide employment. Uh, it has to be a true charitable donation. So under this exception, there are three requirements. So if, if a physician or an immediate family member desires to make a charitable donation to a hospital or hospital foundation, then if the bona fide charitable donation is made, uh, then all three of the following requirements must be satisfied. Now, first off, the charitable no donation must be made to an organization exempt from taxation under the IRS code or a supporting organization, and that's the hook for the foundation. I guess the reason for putting or a supporting organization, if that supporting organization makes the contributions to the hospital, then you have a chain of connected financial arrangements. So that's the reason why they included a supporting organization within this exception. The donation is neither solicited nor made in any manner that takes into account the volume or value of referrals or other business generated between the physician and the hospital or the foundation. And the donation does not violate the anti-kickback statute. So to summarize, as long as the charitable donation is made to a hospital or hospital foundation that is tax-exempt or exempt from taxation under the IRS code, and so this would also include state-owned hospitals or state-controlled hospitals, the donation is not solicited or made, so it's not solicited by the hospital, or made by the physician that takes into account the volume or value of referrals and does not violate the anti-kickback statute, then you comply with the charitable donations by a physician exception. Now in the phase three regulations, there were some questions, this is 2007, so there were some questions that various commenters had with respect to, to the charitable donation exception. Well, the first one, I think it's rather logical. The question was posed as to whether it really does apply from a contribution from a physician to a hospital. Uh, there were two commenters who asserted that the purpose of, of the law was to regulate payments made from a designated health service entity like a laboratory or a hospital to referring physicians. And one commenter suggested that CMS define remuneration to exclude charitable donations by physicians. And CMS disagreed. They, say, they said that all financial relationships between a designated health service entity and a physician who refers Medicare patients to the DHS entity must comply with the Stark Law. And in their response, CMS said that the contributions from a physician to a hospital are deemed to be, I'll put in air quotes, remuneration and must comply with an exception. So they were indicating in this comment that the Stark Law does control the contributions from a physician 
to a hospital. And just fast forward, even under the fair market value exception, when CMS first uh, included the fair market value exception, it was a one-way exception. And that was for compensation from a hospital or DHS entity to a referring physician. And then a few years later, they modified that exception to include compensation or remuneration from a physician to a hospital. They wanted to capture services. Like, for example, if a physician practice was receiving uh, billing services uh, from a DHS entity, then there would have to be fair market value compensation for those services. And you could avail yourself of the fair market value exception to capture those services. Just as a side note, there was a lot of concern when CMS modified the fair market value exception that compensation from a physician to a hospital could also include payment for medical services, like if they showed up in the emergency department. Were, was the payment made either by the physician's payer, third-party payer, or for their co-payer deductible, or even if they were just self-paid, were those payments covered by the Stark Law? And the answer was yes, they are covered. But the assumption is that the physician, when they are receiving medical services, that those medical services are deemed to be fair market value when the physician pays for those services. So I just went down a rabbit hole uh, to talk about the application of the Stark Law, that it does, does include issues involving payments by a physician to a DHS entity, like the charitable contributions exception. Another comment in the phase two regulations was made by, if you read the regulation, it says a hospital association. So I would assume this is the American Hospital Association. This comment dealt with the intent of the physician who was making the charitable contribution. In this comment, the association was saying that the hospital or, or DHS entity would not know the intent or purpose of the physician in making that charitable contribution or donation. So they would not know whether the contribution had the tie-in with the volume or value of referrals made by the physician. So this is that intent factor under the Stark Law. And I have a, an episode that I did previously on whether or not intent matters under the Stark Law. And I think that's what this comment is all about is that the hospital in, in receiving the charitable contribution would not know whether the donating physician or immediate family member had the intent to base their contribution on the volume or value of referrals that the physician either was making to the hospital or DHS entity or was receiving from the hospital. So based upon this, CMS modified the charitable contribution exception by including that the entity, the DHS entity, may not solicit the donation nor, and here's the, the kicker here, nor may the physician offer the donation in any manner that takes into account the volume or value of referrals or other business generated between the parties. So you know, it's basically capturing the donation by the physician and the Stark Law would be implicated and the exception would not apply if the offer of the contribution by the physician was made in a manner that took into account the volume or value of referrals. 
And the next comment really focuses in on targeting of the charitable contribution by the DHS entity. So two comments were received in the phase two regulations questioning whether the hospital could target its medical staff. Now, obviously, if the hospital is targeting its medical staff for contributions, then the source of the hospital's referrals are coming from the targeted population for that contribution. And so that is, that's the medical staff. And CMS indicated that they recognize the importance of fundraising to nonprofit healthcare entities and the crucial role often played by the medical staff in fundraising. And CMS believes that the regulations in this exception is sufficiently clear that it permits a hospital to solicit its medical staff, provided that neither the solicitation nor the offer of the contribution by the physician takes into account the volume or value of referrals or other business generated between the physician and the hospital. So they recognize that you can target a pool, like here a, a, the population would be the medical staff, knowing that in that targeted population for these charitable contributions, that that targeted population refers business but they were indicating that they were looking to the individual physicians, not the group, but the individual physicians to determine whether or not those individual physicians, their charitable contribution was targeted based upon the volume or value of referrals that the physician made to the organization. Now, listeners of Stark Integrity know that I like to give concrete examples uh, that can breathe life into this complicated rule. So I think it's clear just by the general description in the exception and the regulations that I cannot go out and find my top 10 referral sources and ask for a $100,000 charitable contribution from those top 10 referral sources and then turn to everyone else and seek a $25,000 contribution because now I am specifically targeting a, a physician population that is based upon the volume or value of referrals. And next, I want to talk a little bit about intent. And when I was general counsel, and I've covered in Stark Integrity my experiences being a, an integrity officer as well as a general counsel for a hospital system, I received a package of donations and with various amounts and this was not a physician this happened to be another provider uh, for the hospital system so let's say that it was a a laboratory so a laboratory provider and these various amounts actually had in the memo section of the check a name of a patient and so when i looked at it I inquired, I said, okay, why is a patient name being placed in the memo section of the check that is intended to be a charitable contribution to the hospital? And apparently, based upon the volume of what was being purchased by the hospital, this laboratory was making a donation to the hospital that was a, a certain percentage of the amount of business that the hospital system transacted with this laboratory. So in that case, I mean, obviously here I'm not dealing with the Stark Law, I'm dealing with the anti-kickback statute. So in that case, we returned 100% 
of the charitable contributions made by that laboratory because it did vary based upon the volume or value of, of referral. So be careful when you start to see that you have a particular physician or an entity that's making charitable contributions and it fluctuates uh, over time then you want to go back and to determine whether or not that fluctuation could be interpreted that it's taking into account the volume of that or value of referrals being made between the parties. And next, and I get this question very frequently, like with respect to medical director services provided by a physician. And let's say the physician wants to, and again, I'm going to put this in air quotes, volunteer their time to perform those medical director services or they want to be paid less than the normal hourly rate that the physician otherwise would be paid for the performance of those services, recognizing that part of their services is a charitable contribution to a tax-exempt hospital. Now, some people will say, well, gosh, you can never pay a physician below their deemed-to-be fair market value hourly rate for those services. And my pushback is, well, yes, you can. Now, first off, you want to take a look at the physician personal services arrangement exception under the Stark Law and the fair market value requirement under the personal services arrangement exception. Now, unlike the fair market value exception, which requires that the compensation be fair market value, under the personal service arrangement exception, it says that the compensation must be sent in advance and does not exceed fair market value does not exceed fair market value. So can it be less than fair market value? Yes. Secondly, we can recognize a portion of those services. Now I'm going to flip to the charitable contribution exception. We can recognize a portion of those services under the charitable contribution exception. So let's say that the fair market value hourly rate is $100, but the physician says, don't pay me 100, pay me 50%. I want the other 50% to be deemed to be a charitable contribution to the hospital. So we can recognize in the independent contractor arrangement between the hospital and the physician that the normal hourly rate is 100, but the actual payment to the physician will be $50 per hour with the other $50 being recognized as a charitable contribution from the physician to the hospital. So in effect, and here I'm now straddling two compensation arrangements. One is a payment for those services, and those payment for those services, $50 versus $100, does not exceed fair market value. So I've, I've met the personal services arrangement exception with the assumption I meet all of the other requirements, you know, set in writing, signed by the party, set in advance, etc. And the second compensation arrangement that I have is this, this second $50 contribution per hour as a recognized charitable contribution. And that can fit under the charitable contribution exception. Now, the charitable contribution exception does not require that the contribution be set out in writing and signed by the parties. Uh, but in this case, because we are discounting the physician's services by 50%, then I would include that in the written agreement. However, now I'm going to take another step. If the physician wanted to say, don't pay me at all, well, you don't have to have that in writing. You can fit the entire services because that is remuneration. It's a benefit to the hospital. The physician is giving their services, and the charitable contribution does not require that those services be set out in writing. So, in effect, if the physician wanted to, again, I'm going to use air quotes, donate 
their services to that tax-exempt hospital, they can do so and fit within the charitable contribution exception. And lastly, as I indicated previously in this episode, that the donation to a hospital foundation, even if that hospital foundation is separately incorporated, if that hospital foundation is deemed to be a supporting organization to that tax-exempt healthcare entity like a hospital, then you do need to qualify under the charitable donation exception under the Stark Law in order to uh, meet with the Stark Law compliance. So that brings us today to our three Captain Integrity Punch Points. Captain Integrity Punch Point number one is that charitable contributions to a tax-exempt entity by a physician or immediate family member does implicate the Stark Law because of the broad application of that legal term that we use, remuneration. Captain Integrity Punch Point number two is that charitable contributions cannot be solicited or offered by the physician that takes into account the volume or value of referrals. So be very careful uh, with respect to high volume referral sources and the types of contributions that they are making to the organization. And finally, Captain Integrity Punch Point number three is that the Stark Law does involve supporting organizations. So even contributions made by physicians or immediate family members to separately incorporated foundations does implicate the Stark Law. So be careful with people wanting to go around the charitable hospital and make the donations directly to the foundation because those donations to the foundation in support of the hospital does implicate the Stark Law. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Stark Integrity, the Stark Law and Compliance Podcast. If you have any questions regarding this episode, the Stark Law, or healthcare compliance, you can contact me at bobwadecaptainintegrity at gmail.com or my law firm email address at bob.wade at nelsonmullins.com. You can review this and any other episode of Stark Integrity at the Captain Integrity website at captainintegrity.com. You can also follow me on LinkedIn under Bob Wade. I hope the three Captain Integrity punch points will help you with the Stark Law and compliance. In closing, remember that integrity depends on you and me.